This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Oh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Chalk flew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Play the game tonight on the... Oh, you suck, peoples. Oh. <laughs> Not the best start. Oh, well. I keep forgetting what day it is. <laughs> Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Let's play the game tonight. It is Friday afternoon. 
May the 24th, 2013, and I'd like to welcome you to This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons, and I'm the host of this weekly radio program heard at 4 p.m. Eastern on Max Sports Channels and at various times throughout the day on Independent Radio LA. Welcome to the show. we got a lot to talk about tonight. Jimmy Connors has written a book called The Outsider, and we'll get into that. As well as take a look at the French Open. We're going to try to preview it without a draw. Those rascals in France didn't take into consideration that we record this show on Thursday night in Europe. And they decide they didn't want to move the draw to accommodate us. How dare they? Anyway, joining me to talk about all these things and more is our friend from CraigDoylePhotography.com, Mr. Craig Doyle. What's up, dude? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back again. Um... Looking forward to hearing about this book uh, by Jimmy Connors. Um, you just made me aware of it just before we came on the show. So, you know, I'm stoked for this tonight. Yeah, I got an advanced copy. <laughs> so I read it. I'll tell you what, Jimmy is Jimmy. That's one thing's for sure. You know, people pan this book, and I'm probably going to pan certain parts of it as well. But what do you expect from Jimmy Connors? It's all about Jimmy. It's always been about Jimmy. That's why he flourished as a tennis player. I mean, it's definitely an interesting book, though, Craig. He talks about his mother in glowing terms. Of course he does. He talks about her affectionately, and he talks about his wife affectionately, and he talks about his kids affectionately, and he talks about himself affectionately, and he talks about Ely Nastasi and Venus Garolitis with affection. But outside of that, there's not too much affection for anyone else. <laughs> it looks like a book where he was just basically justifying himself if he could and doing his thing, man, doing his thing. But uh, I enjoyed reading the book because I'm a big fan of that era of tennis. That's the era that I grew up watching, trying to emulate. These are the guys who were the ones that made it possible for what you see today and all the big money, these guys were out there taking care of business. And that's the way it is. And these guys were entertainers. This is not the same type of deal as what you see today. Those guys out there were entertainers. You saw them at the parties for corporate sponsors when they hold their parties. You rarely see a famous tennis player at one of those now. They played pro-ams, they schmoozed the crowd, and they went out and entertained, and they played their asses off every night because that's what they had to do. And then again, that was the era of the big-time exhibition. You know, you had these heavyweight title fights in Las Vegas where Jimmy Connors would take on all sorts of different people, Rod Laver, John Newcomb. He took on Martina Navratilova. He talks about that in his book about placing a million-dollar bet on himself in Vegas. And the challenge was that he would only lose less than eight games, and he lost seven games that night. So he won a lot of money on himself. He talks about betting on himself. He talks about a lot about gambling. It's definitely a different era, and it was a more, to me, a more entertaining era. But I, I like parts of the book, Craig. It was all right. And I'd like to point out at this stage that lucky you getting a, an advanced copy, something that we're not all privileged to on this show, but I certainly will be picking up the book in due course. 
um, upon your recommendation, of course. Um, but just going on what you said there, you know, the book obviously delves into what is completely a different tennis era to what perhaps younger fans of the game now can see. Um, you know, there's perhaps slightly more, you called it entertaining back then. Um, perhaps looking at it now, it was less professional, perhaps. Um, and I think it's going to be an overall, overwhelmingly uh, enjoyable and perhaps at times eye-opening read. Oh, it will be. There's no question about it. You know, he was engaged to Chris Everett when they were, she was quite young, and so was he, actually. And, you know, the, one of the things that I didn't probably need to read about was the fact that she had an abortion. Now, I don't know why Jimmy would want to say things like that in a book. I am certain that he didn't tell her about it beforehand. Doesn't seem like a very kind thing to do. I mean, this, this thing happened like 40 years ago. You know, I, I didn't understand where he was coming from when he wrote that. I mean, we didn't need to know that sort of thing. Did we? Do we? Do we need to know that his girlfriend or fiancé at the time had an abortion? I certainly don't think so. I mean, you know, it's an autobiography. I guess it's his pages to write in, his story to tell. Uh, and he could feel free to write what he wishes in his uh, biography. However, you know, I think there's limits upon what you want your audience to know. Um, obviously, this book's going to delve into his private life, perhaps a little too deeply in some cases. But, you know, that's not something we've uh, not seen before in other autobiographies from other tennis players, other sports stars. So, you know, that, that sort of controversy, that might sell copies of the book. That's maybe his intention. Uh, but from my personal standpoint, I, I don't think I gain anything from knowing that. I don't think anyone else gains anything from knowing that. And, you know, he's probably just opened up a few old wounds uh, that didn't really need to be opened up. Well, Chris Everett responded. She's pretty classy about it. She just said, I'm disappointed that he brought this up. You know what, though? The one who benefits the most from something like that is Jimmy. You know, there's an old saying, and you know, he spent a lot of time in Vegas. I saw him around there a lot. I hit with him a couple times. But you know what? Uh, there's an old saying, and a lot of people who are listening to this know this. You don't want to go into business with Jimmy Connors because the only one who wins is Jimmy. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Jimmy's a good guy, though. I mean, he's good to his family, or he was at times. He wasn't too good to his wife when he cheated on her and traveled with this lady on the road. His wife was the last one to find out. Everyone knew. He was taking her to the tournaments, and he left his wife behind. But he sorted that out. But he never really took responsibility for anything, you know. He said he was bad at school because he had a OCD and he just never seemed to want to take responsibility for anything. Even though he said, I take responsibility for everything that I've ever done, he doesn't seem to in the book. He seems to, like, make an excuse for everything that he's done. And maybe that's a valid thing, I guess. But, you know, if you're looking to learn anything about Jimmy Connors, you're not going to learn too much. <laughs> I mean, he's not talking really. He doesn't, you know, like, for example, Andre Agassi's book, Open. Did you read that? I did, yes. Another, you know, revealing 
uh, read and one that I sort of hinted at when I mentioned that, you know, another sports star perhaps revealing a little bit too much information in his uh, autobiography. Well, yeah, the thing is, is that Andre was actually introspective about his life and he took responsibility for a lot of things. Jimmy didn't. One thing Jimmy did do is take a shot at Andre, too. <laughs> He's something. He just said Andre's nothing but an act. It's all an act. Wow. I, whatever, you know, but uh, if it's an act, I'll tell you what, I don't know how many schools Jimmy Connors has started. I don't know how many, uh, and I'm sure Jimmy gives money to charity, but uh, not like Andre does. And I, I don't know that Jimmy's ever, like, taken sponsors and left, like, companies because they weren't on board with his foundation like Andre has. But... That's the kind of act that seems to be okay. I think the point he was making in his book, Jimmy anyway, was that what you saw on the TV, the images, everything was really fake. You know, because Andre admitted in his book that he didn't like tennis for a long time. He probably still doesn't. Now that he's now that he's out of it, he probably misses it more. But Jimmy's Jimmy, like I said, and he talks a lot about making money. Jimmy's all about the cash. There's no question about that. But it is an interesting read. If you're a guy under age 25, you might learn a few things about Jimmy. But if you're my age and you remember him coming up, there's not a whole lot out there. You know, he does talk about Ely Nastasi and traveling with Ely and hanging out with Nasty and the things that they did to entertain people. And he did talk, he dedicated an entire chapter to Venus Carolitis, which I enjoyed. I didn't know that they were that close, but apparently they were. And uh, so all in all, it's an interesting read outside of the abortion thing, which probably didn't need to be there. I didn't need to know that Chris Everett had an abortion. It didn't. I mean, what do I care about that? But I'm sure it helped him sell a few books. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's not it's not the same as open. That's for sure, Craig. But uh, do you have any questions about it? I can answer maybe because you didn't read the book. What would you think would be in there? Maybe I can help you out. Uh, you know, just going by the personality of Jimmy, I expect it to be very Jimmy-centric, very um, shooting from the hip, uh, not too conscientious of who he might uh, upset. I, I don't think that will worry him. Um, I, I think it'll be sort of like tunnel vision, Jimmy, where he just tells his story as he sees it. Um, I'm curious, where, where does the book open? Does it start with his, his childhood or does it start with him on the tour? Yeah, it starts with him um, at his childhood. You know, his mother was his coach. And it talks about a story where he and his brother Johnny were playing tennis and there were some people next to the on the court next to them making all kinds of racket, and his mom went over there to ask them to cool it, and one of the thugs, they were thugs actually, blasted her, knocked out her teeth, just kicked their ass basically, and his grandfather as well took a beating, and he says that shaped his life. You know, his mother defended him and stood up for his tennis, and she got like 100 stitches in her mouth. She took a pretty good beating from these thugs, and he said that shaped him, and that's what fueled his anger but then again when you talk about 
Is it Jimmy centric? Of course it is. <laughs> it's all about Jimmy. You won't be disappointed. If you want to read a book that's all about Jimmy, that's the book. <laughs> because it is. But uh, it does start with his childhood. He talks about his uh, tennis mostly. He doesn't talk about much else. He does talk about his grandmother too. Mommy called her. Glowing terms. Grandfather, glowing terms. Father, he didn't talk about too much because the father wasn't around a lot. I mean, he was in the house, but he had his own life, as Jimmy said, and left it at that. But he said they got close toward the end of his life. But if you want to talk about a young fellow who's devoted to his mother, Jimmy Connors is the guy. No question. So can I take another approach here? Is this book written sort of chronologically? Does it you know, flow from that uh, opening stage of Jimmy's youth all the way through his uh, tennis life? Or does he sort of skip back and forward down the timeline and concentrating on key events? Um, you know, how does the book flow? That way, it flows from beginning to end. He jumps through his seasons because there's a lot there. You know, he played a lot of tennis. But it just chronicles straight up through how his mother coached him until she was 16. And then she sent him to Pancho Seguera to California. He was living on his own in an apartment on his own, hanging out with all kinds of people. Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin Jr. was one of his best friends. Pancho Seguera's son is one of his best friends. Uh, who else? Desi Arnaz Jr., one of his close friends. So, But he was on his own at age 16. Basically, his mom and grandma would fly out once a month to uh, check on him. But he was doing his own thing. It talks about his gambling and how it started, playing backgammon at these clubs, hustling tennis for money with, with celebrities and playing right-handed against people for big money, even when he was number one in the world. People would play him for big money and make him play right-handed, and he would usually win, I'm sure. And then it just talks about his tennis, talks about his life after tennis, a little bit about his dogs. He, he speaks more glowingly of his dogs than he does of probably most of his competitors. <laughs> but uh, that's Jimmy, man. That's how it flows, though, Craig. It just zips right through. It's an easy read. I mean, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to read this book, that's for sure. It's real easy. And you know what? If English isn't your first language, you'll still be able to read it and understand it. And I think that's important. And I think that's the way they did it. It'll be a bestseller, no doubt. No doubt. But that's what I suggest. Well, you sold me on it. You know, I'm uh, going to rush out and pick up a copy and uh, I'll have a flick through. And, you know, like I've done with most of the tennis bi uh, autobiographies that I've uh, had the opportunity to pick up and uh you know hopefully it's as good as you you have uh given an account of it as on here yeah it is i think it, for me it, you know this is the era that i love the most so it was interesting listening to the stories again you know and reliving some of those matches that i saw on my tv and saw in person or whatever so it was cool really cool you know what? We've got this French Open here coming up this week, beginning on, what is it, the 26th? It ought to be interesting there. Um, we do not have the draw in front of us, but that's never stopped Craig and I from actually previewing a tournament. So, I mean, <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to look at, you know, we're, we should start charging these people. I'm gonna, Jimmy, hey, if you're listening, I just gave you a plug. Let's see how many books I sell for you. What do you think, man? Maybe you can send me one of those old T2000s. 
And that's what he talked about, too, the T-2000 tennis racket. <laughs> he was the only one in the world that could play with it. <laughs> Crazy things. Anyway, let's start with the ladies. The overwhelming favorite to win the French Open, Craig, is Serena Williams at 5-4. to four. Yeah, that's come in a little bit in the last few days as well because you were getting a lot better odds on that. Um, I, I don't know what a lot better odds are based on or why it's come in. Obviously, the possibility is a lot of people have taken a look at the French Open, saw the odds and thought that's a great price for Serena Williams. This is a girl who's just won two uh, huge clay court tournaments in a row. She's beaten her two closest rivals in two successive finals. Um, she's played a little shaky tennis at times. You know, she's had the odd set that's been a little bit uh, strange, you know, just completely gone against us if she switched off. But it's going to take something special to knock Serena out of Roland Garros. And unfortunately, I don't think any of the, the top girls really match up to her on any surface at the minute. No, I happen to agree with you there. Serena, Serena, and she's tough as nails. There's no doubt about that. Tough as nails, five to four odds. You better, if you want to take Serena, <laughs> how can you can't win any money off this, can you? No, not really. It's, um, you know, you would have to combine this with another bet, uh, another couple of bets maybe to, to get some, real return of it, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, the bookmaker is not going to give you good odds on something that's very likely to happen. Absolutely. You know what? I know nothing about sports betting, so uh, you'll just have to help me out with some of this. <laughs> Let me see. Uh, I can't even get a laugh out of you at midnight, can I? <laughs> I've even started earlier for you today. That's yeah, early start, man. I've not woken up yet. That's okay. I'm, I'm barely awake. I was waiting for my girl to call. She usually calls me on Skype before the show. Wish me luck and all that sort of thing. But uh, apparently she's uh, whatever. She's probably asleep. Anyway, Maria Sharapova at 4-1. to one. That's not a, you know what, uh, that's not a bad bet, is it? It's not. I mean, it's strange to say that the second favorite in the betting um, is an outside bet. Uh, but Sharapova won last year. Um, obviously, the loss of Serena in the first round was a bit of a shock. And it kind of opened the door for Sharapova to come in and complete her Grand Slam collection. And I think, you know, right now she's probably neck and neck with uh, Victoria Azarenka. Right behind Serena. So if, you know, by chance Serena gets injured or something happens, you know, Sharapova or Azarenka is going to be your next best shout. Yeah, I happen to agree with you. Uh, Azarenka is at six to one odds. Nali is at ten to one, former French Open champion. Here's a couple other ones: Sarah Irani is at twenty to one. Sam Stoser twenty to one. What would you do with those? Uh, if you're looking for an outside bet, like a real dark horse, then you know Sarah Irani is probably a good as good a shot as any. She plays some of the, the best clay court tennis. She just tends to come up a little bit short against these top three girls. They seem to have the consistency and the power to stop her running the ball down and keeping it in play. Um, last year, she got to the final, lost to Sharapova quite convincingly. But I think she'll be in for a good run. She's had a good run in Madrid, a good run in Rome. Uh, shouldn't have any 
difficulties. You know, the surface isn't changing here in, in Paris. It's going to be clay. It's going to be our favourite surface. It's probably going to be Arani's last sort of big tournament before we uh, go into the North American hardcourt season because she doesn't fare too well on grass. So she's going to be giving it everything. And I, I think she'll be there and thereabouts. Um, a decent draw, I should see her reach the, the quarterfinals minimum possible semi-finalist and if if it's her day you know she could possibly go all the way and surprise everyone yeah probably so you know what this is interesting too here Jelena Jankovic is at 66 to 1 Annie Ivanovic is at 40 to 1 now Jankovic has had a better season this year than Ivanovic what gives it's because Ivanovic is hot right yeah pretty much you got uh... <laughs> that's how you bet you bet because she's cute <laughs> Can, you, can I gamble with you people? <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's obviously a little reasoning in it in that Ivanovic has won here before back in 2008 or something like that, um, and you know they'll they'll look at past history and the possibility that she could repeat that, and you know it's very very unlikely, but the bookmaker is going to cover all the bases. They're not going to uh, leave a door open for people to exploit. Um, in this situation, you know, Anna Ivanovic is a popular name. You'll get a few punters coming along and sticking a little bit of money on uh, a name that they know, and um, that's how the betting works. You know, a little bit of money goes on someone, and the price instantly drops just to make sure that the bookmakers cover. Yeah, that makes sense, but the money pushes the line at the end of the day, right? It does. It does. Yeah, because I think this line's moved in the last couple of days. Let's see who else is here. Uh, Caroline Wozniacki at 101. <laughs> Probably the same people who bet on her would bet on Annie Ivanovich to win. I'll give you 500 on Wozniacki. <laughs> 500. Yeah, I'm not taking that. I wouldn't take that if I were drunk. Um, let me see. Madison Keys, 150 to 1. Now, why would she even be on this list? She's not a favorite to win anything, is she? Well, these days, you know, the bookmaker allows you to, to pick anyone. Any, any of these 128 or whatever... Uh, girls who line up in this first round, you can bet on anyone. You know the prices will reflect their opportunities. I'm sure if you look down the list far enough, you'll get down to some girls at 500, a thousand to one. Um, so you know if there's someone out there who fancies maybe, maybe an American uh, fan who fancies uh, a gambler, Madison Keys, you know it's there. You can have it. You be handing your money over to the bookmaker with very little. Um, chance of getting anything back but you know you want to do that you can do that yeah have a good time with that too you know if you're going for a hot chick why don't you take maria kirilenko at 150 to 1 she's cuter than annie ivanovich she doesn't have anorexia and you might have a better shot here's here's the one here here look at this one marion bartoli 150 to 1 the the local favorite the hometown girl who doesn't even like the french tennis federation <laughs> wouldn't that be cool if she won at 150 to 1 I'm serious. Wouldn't that be cool anyway? I like to thank the French. No, 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 no. They didn't want my daddy to coach the Fed Cup team. Screw you. Thanks for the trophy. Have a nice day. <laughs> what do you think? Hey, it can happen, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> she's not playing particularly good tennis at the moment, but uh, we've seen before where people are not playing good tennis. They're an outsider, especially in these women's jaws where you know almost anyone in the top 40 can beat anyone. They can just rock up and uh, reel off two sets and away they go. Um, you know, this, this could happen. It, it could be her year. It's doubtful, given, you know, Serena Williams accepts in the draw, but never say never. 
Never say never. I agree with you. Now, let's go after this here. Who you got to win this whole thing? I I can't see beyond Serena, to be honest. Yeah, I'm the same way. We don't have the draw, so we can't like predict who's gonna who she's gonna play. I guess she might play Sharapova, but we'll see. It depends on how her shoulder fares. Sarah Rani is another one I uh, happen to think might do pretty well here, because this is her last shot for the season. Because once the course get a little faster, things might not work out for her. But I've got Serena too, Craig. Tell you what, coming up, we're well. I should say we're going to take a break, and when we return, we're going to take a look at the men's odds and let's see how the bookies fare and how two guys who know nothing about sports betting see it and we'll be right back you're listening to this week in tennis on max sports channels and independent radio la hi this is phil nasons from the phil nason show and this week in tennis when i'm looking for sports information my first stop as well as yours should be, sports-kings.com. Great information, scores, highlights, and exceptional commentary. You can find it all there at sports-kings.com. Are you tired of boring sports websites that's about the same old company line? If you are, then I'd invite you to stop over to thesportsgoons.com. The Reggie Commentary and a weekly podcast highlighting today's issues is second to none. That's thesportsgoons.com. The new media has arrived. Looking for the latest information on your favorite sports team? Why not check out 15-year-old founder Trevor Urenz, prosportsextra.com. Updated daily by a staff of over 30 writers, ProSportsExtra.com is the place to be. You can check them out, and I insist that you do, at ProSportsExtra.com. If you're moving to the Atlanta area or simply looking to buy that new dream home, we'll look no further than to real estate agent Latrissa Fryson. Latrissa has over 10 years in real estate experience and she's anxious to put you in your brand new home. For more information, you can contact Latrissa at latrissa.com. That's L-E-T-R-I-S-S-A.com. For you, the listeners of This Week in Tennis, Audible.com is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I'd personally like to recommend Tim Galloway's book, The Inner Game of Tennis. And you can get this book or any other of over 100,000 titles, all for free, simply by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, please go to audibletrial.com slash flash tennis. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash flash tennis and get your free audiobook. Hi, this is Phil Nasons from This Week in Tennis and the Phil Nasons Show. Max Sports Channels offers the best in sports talk radio as well as great music 24 hours a day. It's my daily destination 
and I hope it's yours. The sports talk begins each and every day at 3 p.m. and ends around 9 p.m. Special programming on the weekends. And in between all that, the hottest music on the internet. That's Max Sports Channels. Make it your daily destination. Welcome back to This Week in Tennis, the men's side of things of the French Open. And once again, we are recording this on Thursday evening. You'll be hearing this on Friday afternoon or Friday morning, depending on where you live. We don't have the draw in front of us, but like I said before, that's never stopped Craig and I from uh, speculating on some tennis. Anyway, the men's side of things has Raphael Nadal, and we're, li- we're using Ladbrokes dot com ladbrokes.com the betting site we don't advocate sports betting we don't encourage it but this is a good thing to work off of since the french people decided to not move their draw and accommodate this show how dare they rafael nadal he's a four to six favorite (laughs) you might as well put your money away folks right yeah, you certainly could. Um, you know, you're not making any money on Rafael Nadal winning here, the uh, unless you put a lot of money down. And uh, you know, in tennis, it's not a great idea to put a lot of money down because you're looking at seven games, um, best of five sets, long format, a lot of tennis to be played. And when you're betting on someone like Rafael Nadal, who has a history of knee issues, um, injury worries. You never know what's going to happen in seven games, um, seven, seven complete matches. Uh, anything can happen to this guy, and it, it, there's a strong possibility that he could pick up an injury. Um, that being said, an injury is probably the thing that's going to stop him from picking up another French Open title because uh, there's not too many people in the men's field playing superb clay court tennis at the moment. and. You know, on paper, Rafael Nadal is a very, very clear favorite. Yeah, he is and on, on the court, too. <laughs> he's, he's all right. Folks, what Craig said is correct. Don't bet on Rafael Nadal. Leave him be. This is not a wise move. And I'll tell you why. Because this isn't Monte Carlo. And I'll, I know people are going to say, well, Novak Djokovic won in Monte Carlo. This ain't Monte Carlo, okay? This is Rafa's house, and Rafa runs his house. And if he stays healthy, and I'll tell you what, if it stays dry there too, that's another thing, and he can slip slide, goodbye. But Craig's right. These are long matches. Anything can happen, and this is a grueling tournament. At four to six odds, your best bet is to look elsewhere if you want to make money at the sport. Novak Djokovic is a two-to-one favorite. He does have a chance, doesn't he, Craig? He certainly does. And this is probably the one tournament that Novak set out to win this year. It's the one Grand Slam he doesn't have in his collection. And unfortunately, he's come to that stage in his career. I'm going to make a comparison here to Roger Federer. And before anyone sort of jumps straight down my throat to stop me, um, Novak does have the other three slams in his collection. This is the one that he would dearly want, but he's found a lot like Rogers found that 
you got to get past Rafael Nadal to win it. And even when you're having a dominant season, even when you're hitting the ball consistently with power, uh, you're playing that game that you used in previous seasons to beat Rafael Nadal on clay. This best for five set format, Nadal just seems to be able to run you down. He, he just seems to be able to take that consistency away from you. Uh, he waits for his minute and, you know, he, he doesn't need asking twice to take his opportunities. And, you know, I, we saw that last year in the final when it, a lot of people tipped Djokovic to, to win the French Open. Uh, he was just ground down by Nadal and, you know, it was what it was. Another win for Rafa. Yep. Another win. Yeah, Novak wants this one, but we don't always get what we want. I'm afraid to say he's going to have to hang around a couple more years if he's going to get this one. But two to one odds, eh, not too shabby, really. If Roger Federer, 14 to one. Now, that's an interesting proposition because, well, he has the possibility of uh, winning this tournament, doesn't he? He certainly does. And what Roger's going to be looking at is what kind of draw does he get tomorrow? If Roger, who should be going in as a number two seed, I believe, because uh, Andy Murray's not playing, Roger might be ranked above him anyway, I, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, Roger will want to avoid, where possible, Nadal before the final. And, and, and he, to be honest, if he does that, that would mean Djokovic-Nadal in the semi-final. And I think... The semi-final is a different dynamic to the final. I, I think that Djokovic probably would feel less pressure against Nadal in the semi-final. And should Djokovic perhaps eliminate Nadal, you know, Federer in the final would feel a lot more confident against someone that isn't Nadal. Um, you know, going into that draw, if he's got David Ferrer on his side of the draw, he's got this astonishing record of... Um, He's in double figures anyway, wins against David Ferrer, and I don't think he's actually lost to Ferrer. So, you know, a good job for Roger Federer would be to avoid both Djokovic and Nadal and put himself into the final. Once he gets there, we all know what Roger's like in finals. He's, uh, he, he's clutch. He's going he's gonna to come with the A game. He's not going to come with uh, anything less. And, you know, if he gets lucky enough not to be facing Nadal, 14-1 to 1 would be you know, staggering odds on Roger Federer. Yeah, I think you're right. That's staggering. You're right. That's what he wants to do. He wants to avoid Djokovic and Nadal, and I think he can. I think he's ranked, what, number two? Yeah, I think so. Um, he, he'll go in the second seed anyway because Murray's definitely not playing. Right, exactly. And we'll, we'll talk about why what's going on with Andy as soon as we finish this. We won't forget you folks out there in the UK who are devoted listeners to the show. We will talk about Andy Murray in a moment. But David Ferrer, you just talked about him. This is a guy, I'll tell you what, match by match, he ain't a bad bet. David Ferrer is really, really interesting here because he's got this bad record against these top guys. He, he just doesn't pick up the victories over guys like Djokovic, Nadal, um, we saw that in the last couple of weeks where he crashed twice in succession to Nadal, taking him to um, the distance, going three sets in Madrid and Rome, but ultimately crashing twice. 
and then he has this astonishingly poor record against Federer. But he's going to go in as seat number four, which, you know, if, if he gets himself in a good quarter on the clay, he, he, he really is such a dark horse. It's difficult to say whether he's, you know, third, fourth best, best player on the clay at the minute. Um, he comes out there, it's a good day. And I, I actually think David Ferrer gets better by the game. I think he gets better by the year. I think this year on clay, he's, he's played better than he did last year. Last year, he reached the semi-final and got blown away by Nadal. This year, it, you know, he's not going to face Nadal in the semi-final because Nadal will be seated three, he'll be seated four. So what should happen is he should have a, an opportunity to go out there, take on someone like a Djokovic or a Federer. And, you know, if he plays his A game, he could cause some real difficulties. So he, he could be one to look out for if he doesn't come up against Rafa. Now, like I said, I don't know much about sports betting, Craig. Maybe you can help me out with this. But what I was talking about is taking a David Ferrer in the early rounds, parlay it with two or three other matches, and go to the bank with your money. Yeah. I, I would never bet a David Ferrer match with Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic. I wouldn't be that crazy. But I would definitely take him in the early rounds, parlay him with a guy like, for example, a Nicholas Lamagro, who will be probably... You know, the bookies don't think too highly of him. Or a Jersey Janowitz, somebody like that. Parlay the three together and pick up some cash at the window on my way out the door. My advice would be to stick your guys like your Ferrer, um, guys in the top ten. Stick them on the back of uh, a couple of bets on close matches. Look to try and pick out your clay quarter type players. Guys who have um, had a, a decent run perhaps in Madrid or in Rome, um, look, look for uh, matches that would typically be close if you looked at the world rankings, but one player is going to be favored on the clay. That's where you're going to get your value in the early rounds. Um, you, typically, you're going to be looking at your Spanish players, uh, Argentinian players, Italian players, guys who've grown up playing the game on the clay. These are the guys you're going to want to back in the early rounds. Stick in David Ferrer, Nicholas Almagro, um, Thomas Burdich. You'll not get great odds on them, but uh, these guys are dead sets to win their early round matches, and they'll get you that little extra bit of money on top. Exactly. See, Craig's not a big fan of David Ferrer. He never would bet on him. So anyway, you know, I'll tell you what. Uh, some of these other names are pretty interesting. Ernest Golbus is 80 to 1. He's done pretty well this season, but this is a major. This is a different thing. It just depends on his draw. Jersey Janowitz, 150 to 1. He's my guy. I love his name. Jersey Janowitz. I can say that all day. Here's an interesting bet right here. Here, this is interesting. Tommy Haas at 200 to 1. Tommy Haas at 200 to 1. He would love to win his first major somewhere. This is probably his best shot and last shot, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think it is um, for Tommy. He's sort of riding on the uh, final crest of the wave before he heads downhill, and he's done some something staggering at his age to come back on the tour and get himself seated here at Roland Garros. I, I think he's going to be seated like 12 or something like that. I mean, that's honestly, for his age, it's a staggering uh, number to be seated at. So that shows how well Tommy's played over the last year. And his resurgence actually started last year at Roland Garros. Tommy came to Roland Garros and he was told, no, you ain't getting a wild card. We're not giving you one. 
I'm going to give it to some other kid that you've never even heard of. Uh, you can play qualifiers. So Tommy did that. He went and played qualifiers. He won three. Then he got himself to the third round. So he actually played six matches last year, which really kick-started his uh, comeback on the tour over the year. And he put in some amazing performances after that. Uh, 200 to 1, you know, you wouldn't touch that. He's not gonna, he's not gonna win the tournament. But you might look in the early rounds. Uh, Tommy Haas, probably a good shout to to win a few matches in the early rounds. You mentioned Ernest Gilbus there. Ernest is a, a great uh, guy to put a bet on if you you want to back an outsider to beat a, a top 10 player. But uh, you know, Ernest will go and lose the match after that. And I can guarantee you he will, because that's what exactly what Ernest does. But, uh, you know, if Ernest saw someone like Tommy Burditch or Joe Wilfred Songa in the first round, he may be worth a few pounds, uh, a few dollars, whatever your local currency is, um, to win that uh, big encounter. And this isn't an infomercial for Ladbrokes at all, but uh, they'll take any of your cash, trust me. Well, don't trust me because I've never actually used this one. But uh, anyhow, you know who? I'll tell you something. I would be really careful about this one. You want a dark horse? Benoit Perry. And by the way, a big shout out to him winning his very first uh, ATP tournament. You heard that here. You made some cash with the flash that day. It's been a while since I could say that, Craig. But uh, 250 to 1 for young Benoit. What do you think about Mr. Perry? Well, what, what I think is... Uh that the French would be absolutely delighted if this kid was to go on a little bit of a run here, um, put himself in the frame. I, you know, I, I don't see him as a winner, but I see him as a guy who should be thinking to himself, I can do quarterfinals here, or I've got to at least get to the second week. And if I get to the second week, let's take it from there. Let's see if I can go one more match, one more match. Um, and, and it'll be interesting uh, to see where he lands up. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you someone not to put your money on. Um, a little, a few people got a little carried away after um, Gregor Dimitrov defeated Novak Djokovic in Rome. And I'm going to tell you right now, you do not want to back this kid up against another top 20 player. He's going to struggle. He doesn't have the stamina to last the uh, best of five sets format. He didn't have it last year, but he blew up against Richard Gasquet. And I've got my suspicions this year that you're going to see a lot of the same from this kid. He'll play some really exciting tennis right out of the Roger Federer mode, but I just don't think he'll have the ability to sustain it over the long term. Uh, I'd be very surprised, actually, if he gets to the second week. Yeah, I didn't even want to mention that. I wasn't even thinking about this guy. 66-1, to nah, he got lucky. Well, he didn't get lucky. He won, but he'll never survive. You're right. Good call on that one, too. Let's see, who else? Uh, <laughs> Maria Sharapova's favorite player, Gil Simone, 500 to 1. <laughs> Take a Pasadena on that. Um, let's see, Fabio Fognini, 500 to 1. That's interesting. Milos Reales, young Milos, 250 to 1. Keep your money in your pocket. Save it for Wimbledon if you're going to bet on young Milos. Let's see, who else? Look at this down here, Craig. This is an interesting long. If you're looking for a long shot, you got extra cash in your pocket, you're ready to lose, or perhaps want to win a lot of money if it comes through. Andreas Seppi is 500 to 1. That's an interesting proposition, isn't it? 
It is. You know, last year he was really, really good at this stage of the season on the clay. He just uh, he came out of nowhere and he was he was causing everyone difficulties on the clay. He sort of elevated his ranking up. But this year he's he's struggled to get going in uh, some of these Masters tournaments recently. He's had a sort of blip in form. And, I, you know, maybe this is what he needs. This is uh, the switch to the best of five sets format. Maybe it'll get him a chance to get his game together get into the match and uh, he gets a couple of games under his belt. There's no reason he can't get to the, the second week uh, and put himself up against uh, someone like Djokovic like he did last year because he gave Novak Djokovic a real scare last year in this tournament. Sure he did. And that's just what we need to see. If you're gambling, that's the call you want to make. <laughs> I mean, he, he could do some damage. 500 to 1. That's pretty good odds for him. If he comes through, you're going to cash in. And if not, you know what? It is what it is, right? Nice. Anyway, let's see who else we've got here. Now, nah, really not anyone else to talk about. Bernie no. Tom, hey, Bernie Tomic, 500 to 1. Yeah, Bernie's going to be there. Um, his old man's still coaching him despite the instant we mentioned on the show a few weeks ago. Okay, he's not However, legally coaching him. Well, I, I don't know if he's not legally coaching him. I don't think he was actually banned from coaching Bernie. Well, he was. Um, was he? Oh, sure. I, I know that he's banned. He's not got accreditation for the French Open, so he can't get through the gate without a ticket. If he tries to get through with a ticket, well, they've got these high-tech security things now where it comes up with your name and address and stuff when you go through with a ticket. They'll just throw him out again. So, uh He's not going to be on the, the Roland Garros site. Uh, let's throw in another name. Because I, I read this the other day that uh, Tommy Robredo is going to be seated. Yeah, how is that possible? Well, you tell me. You know, Tommy must just be sauntering away in the background, uh, picking up a few results here and there. And he's going to find himself with a seating for the French Open, which I think, you know, is yeah, it's pretty impressive for Tommy because he's not been a name on the tour for a long time now. Yeah, it'd be good to see him get through a little bit. He was one of those guys that uh, now I know people who gamble. I would never do that. But uh, he was one of those guys that were pretty dependable on the clay a few years back. Paid a lot of bills for certain people that I know. <laughs> but we better leave that be. Anyway, who do you got to win this thing? I'm going to be really, really predictable here, and I'm just going to go with Rafa again. Yeah, me too. I don't see anyone stopping him. He looks like he's on a mission. And he needs to give our anonymous blogger friend uh, something to talk about. He's doping again! <laughs> God. But seriously, Rafael Nadal, I got him all the way. I'll tell you something, but... If I were going to take a long shot, but I don't have the draw in front of me, I wouldn't be shocked if Roger Federer won. Would you? No, no. You know, we don't have the luxury of the draw as we go through this preview of the French Open. But if Roger gets the right draw, why not? But I'll tell you what Roger doesn't want to see. He doesn't want to see names like Thomas Burdich or Joe Wilfred Songa appearing in his section of the draw. He's going to want 
uh, avoid these guys, you know, Songa's French guy playing on Philippe Chatier. He's, uh, you know, he'll have a big back in. Roger doesn't want to play that in the quarterfinals. He doesn't want a semifinal against Rafa or Novak. Um, ideally, for Roger, if he, he'll be looking at John David Ferrer. He'll be looking at, you know, John Bianco Tipsarovic or whatever in the quarterfinals. And uh, if he gets that sort of draw, why not? Why not have Roger Federer for a second Roland Garros title? Could be interesting, that's for sure. Now, Andy Murray has decided to withdraw from the French Open. I wasn't even a bit surprised by that. I don't think he is going to miss the French Open. I don't think the French are going to miss him either. You know, but uh, this is actually a smart move because his whole season right now is all about Wimbledon. Don't you agree? Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I think at the start of the year when Andy Murray drew up the list of tournaments that he was going to target this year, um, at at the top of that list, I think Wimbledon would have been there. It's the uh, big tournament for the Brit- British support. They haven't had a winner for you know decades and decades and decades. They're trying to break that curse. There's a lot of pressure on Murray being the only established British player on tour to go and do that. He came so close last year. Um, he ended up winning the Olympics in a best of five sets match on grass on the same court about a, a month to six weeks later. So there's a, a real belief that uh, he can go and do that. And this year of all years, it, it could be very open because you know we don't know how guys like Rafa are going to play on the grass. He's not played in over a year on the grass. Well, most of the guys haven't, but... Uh, you know, Rafa getting injured. He didn't play many matches last year on grass. Um, you know, Roger's a year older. Novak has shown that he's not particularly keen on grass, probably his weakest surface. So, you know, Murray's going to line up to go and play Wimbledon to win. And, you know, I don't know the severity of these injuries that he's got at the minute. I, I, he had them last year. It's a similar thing, according to his medical team. Uh, but but I don't think he particularly likes playing on the clay. I, I think he finds it awkward. I think he, he's not used to sliding the way some of these um, Spanish and Argentinian players are. He, he doesn't find it natural. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of clay court players, I, I'd be surprised if I would count him in my top 10. I think he, he he's just looked at this situation. He's thought, not feeling 100%. It's probably better for me just to stay at home. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I would do. I wouldn't go there unless I was well. He's. I don't think he's ever going to win that anyway. That's probably how he sees it as well. But uh, we should probably point out at this time that he's not the only one not playing. Uh, Juan Martín Del Pozo's withdrawn. Right. We had Marty Fish withdrawn. Yeah. Okay. Brian Baker's withdrawn. <laughs> That's no surprise. Yeah, well, yeah, Brian's struggling a little with injury. Uh, Thomas Bellucci withdrew. He's the, he would have been number 40 seed. Sorry, he's outside the seed and he's world number 40. Correct myself there. 
And we are awaiting information on Stanislas Warinka, who has had a phenomenal clay court season thus far. But we think that it's possible that Warinka may withdraw before the tournament starts with an injury. Yeah, we definitely got the injuries. Anyway, it should be a very interesting tournament. And next week, Craig and I will uh, actually hopefully have a draw in front of us. Perhaps they'll have it out by then. And when they do, we'll talk to you about the French Open. Craig, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thanks for having me again this week. Uh, It's my pleasure. You can find Craig Doyle at craigdoylephotography.com. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's This Week in Tennis. Until next time, you all take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening, and most importantly, enjoy the tennis.